Welcome to today's podcast from the Exit Insights podcast. Today, I've got with me David Young from Shield Corporate Finance. Now, David's got a great background and he represents the sellers of the business, which is a slightly different angle. So, David, I don't want to steal your thunder. Please introduce yourself. Um, you've got a fantastic background that's worth sharing, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear a bit about that. Well, thanks very much, Daryl. It's great to be with you. We're in the same space because although I started life uh, actually with Goldman Sachs in the mid 80s, learning the merger business in the merger department, uh, and then ended up uh, running the sell side practice for JP Morgan in London across Europe, I saw a need to help SME business managers prepare for sale and get good results in sale because the big banks are just focused on the big deals and they don't stray very far from the deals themselves upstream to the vital preparation stages, which can make such a difference to the outcome. And I'd spent years working at the big banks, seeing so much value go to waste in deals that weren't properly prepared, you know, whether they were divisions of corporates or whether they were smaller uh, owner-managed businesses that I thought, you know, people need help uh, because there's a sector here which is not well addressed. And I know that's something that, um, you know, you passionately believe too. So I set out in 2001 to help SME businesses, owner-managed, but not necessarily, uh, maybe divisional managers wanting to do buyouts, uh, to help them with some of the professionalism of the deals from the big banks. Okay. So in some senses, you've, you've, you've almost switched sides from, from representing the, uh, the buyers and, and helping the buyers get the best deal they can to swapping, to swapping over to the sellers and because you recognise that sellers weren't prepared, they weren't ready to get into those negotiations and therefore weren't getting the most from their life's work, as uh, we like to say at Succession Plus. It's interesting that you put it that way, swapping sides. I mean, that's, uh, I think, quite a perceptive insight because the big banks actually, of course, work on the buy side and the sell side. Mm -hmm. And there was I running JP Morgan's pan-European sell side practice with mandates from sellers. But it got to the point where I reckoned I could probably do a better job due to the conflicts of interest which exist at the big banks yeah. from an independent platform. And the conflicts of interest are quite uh, many and quite deep because the big banks are also financing buyers and it's the buyers who end up being the repeat uh, clients. And so their bread is buttered pretty much by the buyers and their interests are predominantly with the buyers, yes. So I felt the underdog here needs, needs some professional support. And that's one of the things that motivated me, as well as seeing the, the opportunity out there to help people get their ducks in a row sooner rather than later. Yeah. So, yeah, business owners and, and a lot of business owners we meet, have, you know, they've started out their career as you know, an opportunity entrepreneur. They started a business or started a job, really, started being self-employed, a lot of them, and grew it into a business created some significant value but all the way along the line no one really taught them how to maximize that and that's what i'm hearing you're you're focusing on is is looking after the the sellers so that they can really get the most from their life's work and prepare you know you and i've had a couple of uh, conversations in anticipation of this recording and it's all about helping them prepare and and really be ready for what is a tough negotiation that they, they're just not, well, they're only going to do it once and they just don't know what's going to hit them a lot of the time. 
Exactly. I mean, anyone in business with a business to sell probably knows a lot about selling, even if they're not from a sales side, they may be from the engineering side or whatever. So it's not so much that they don't know, but, although there's an element of, of not, if you haven't been through a competitive sale process, you know, you do need some preparation, but it's, it's, I look at it as, at, look at it as encouraging people to put themselves in the shoes of the buyer, understand what the buyer is going to need and prepare for it. And that's something you haven't necessarily thought through, but won't find mm -hmm. difficult to understand. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, good point. And just a little insight like that often reframes the whole uh, situation for them and they'll, they can go away and do some preparation based on that. Yes. I mean, one basic thing I say is, you know, actually the buyer is not your enemy. <laughs> I mean, the buyer is not your friend, but the buyer is not your enemy because I have seen a lot of transactions where the seller gets frazzled by all the questions that come and it, it tends yeah. to turn into a them and us kind of tussle. That's unfortunate. Yeah, uh, But, you know, one of the things about understanding the buyer is not the enemy is the buyer has legitimate needs to get a good return on investment from the deal. And in <laughs> fact, a good risk weighted return. And one of the things the buyer is very going to be concerned about is what are the risks in your business? And particularly, of course, what are the risks when you are no longer in the saddle in your business or, or when you become so wealthy as a result of the deal that you're no longer motivated to keep peddling, even if you are still on the board. Yeah. Uh, so we need to address these legitimate questions. And the more you can address them, the better you'll be because buyers translate uncertainty and risk into discounts on the price, as you know. So yeah, that's, that's a matter a of preparing. It's, it's a great insight, I think, for, for business owners out there is to, to recognize and appreciate the reason buyers are asking all these questions is that they just want to assess the risk they're entering into potentially. You know, what's the risk of uh, you know, past incomes being translated into future incomes? How automated is it? And you know, is, is that likelihood going to change with uh, the absence of the business owner and the founders? Exactly. I mean, if you invite them to put themselves in the buyer's shoes, these are the questions they'd have. Although that said, when you have the buyers, lawyers and accountants teams at work, they're also trying to prove their worth and they're trying to unearth all the possible skeletons. Yeah, good point. Which bring, brings us to another point, actually. I say tell the truth, you know, tell the truth about the skeletons in the cupboard uh, because they'll probably fall out in due diligence. And if you haven't told the truth, you'll lose credibility when you're far down the track. Yeah. And I've seen processes come unstuck then because everything you've said is called into question. Uh, but I also say tell the truth about the potential in your business. And that yeah. is... So, we're not good at doing that as a financial, I mean, financial people aren't good at doing it because we financial people are used to getting punished if we if, if our projections are wrong. Mm. And when you're doing a business plan, you, you tend to err on the side of conservatism because you don't want to disappoint owners and capital providers. Uh, but in the context of a sale, I say, you know, it's like selling a house. If, if you had oil, if you struck oil in the back garden, you wouldn't keep stum about it when you were selling your house because you couldn't quantify how many barrels were going to be coming out 10 years from now. You'd say, hey, there's a geezer in the back garden. It's, it's, it's black gold out there. I'm excited. And in the same way with businesses, I, I encourage owner managers to say, hey, here are the potentials. Here are the diamonds in the drawers. This is what could happen downhill and with a following wind. 
And let's apply some probability ranges to, to that to bring it down to earth. But let's put all these grappling hooks out there to attract buyers and then let them go figure. And what I've found is in a, in a competitive context, people won't discount the more far-flung potentials as much as you'd think. But it's up to the seller to express them, to communicate them, to quantify them, because no buyer has got an, an incentive to do that. Yeah, if you outline the opportunity that's ahead, the untapped opportunity, it just helps them to value the business more, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they may well be buying for reasons that, you know, you haven't even crossed your mind as a seller. Because yeah. as owner managers, we get very focused on our business and its cash flow potential and what it, we're doing in our own little box. But if our business happens to be the missing piece in somebody else's jigsaw, the sky can be the limit, you know? So we mustn't get constrained by thinking about our own standalone value. Yeah, look, it's always important to remember, remember no matter what it is you're selling, it's the buyer that determines value, not the seller. Absolutely. So Dave, the, it's, mm. it's November 2020 that we're recording this. It's been the end of a, let's say, unusual year, um, to yep. say the least. Uh, what yes. are you seeing is happening with business valuations at the moment? Is now a good time to sell? Is it what's happening out there? Well, the situation reminds me quite a bit of 2008, the global financial crisis and the aftermath there. I mean, so when you have an economic shock, you have the whole investment community going to the edge of the ice rink, standing back, waiting, uh, seeing risk and discounting risk by dropping price. Whereas sellers think back to the multiples they had in mind last year when they decided they wanted to sell this year. And you get into negotiations and all too often the bid offer spread has widened so much you just can't get a deal. So it's difficult. It's challenging. There's no doubt about it. And in some sectors, it may be well nigh impossible, although there'll be people gobbling up hotels, no doubt, and occupancy businesses at knockdown values. I had a, a prospect say to me the other day, he's not going to sell this year because the values have dropped and people are doing deals at knockdown prices if they're desperate enough to get out. So he's going to wait and I don't blame him. But I would say don't despair because actually, you know, I've sold businesses that are loss making for very good money. Because as, as I always say, you know, there are three building blocks of value. You've got your standalone value. You've got your synergy value. And you've got your strategic value. And these are not to scale. And it may well be that your synergy value and your strategic value uh, are a, a big multiple of the standalone value, particularly as the standalone value shrinks. But I mean, in the first deal I did at Shield, they came to me having had an offer for $10 million, husband and wife team. Uh, it wasn't competitive and they wanted me to help with the negotiation. I said, Everything I've learned over the years tells me that competition works wonders. Tell me about the process. And they said, well, there wasn't one. We just got approached by somebody who offered us 10 million, which is our magic number. We'd like to make it 12. Can you help us negotiate 12? So I persuaded them to let's make it a competitive process. They were worried we'd lose that buyer. But in my experience, you won't lose a, a serious buyer, even if you make it competitive. Although it's better not to give them the sense you're shopping their offer which actually we were in this case, but they stayed in. However, the upshot of a competitive process was we sold that business for $32 million and an earn out of 24. So 
interesting example of a business which was priced before a competitive process and then through a competitive process where we found that it was IMS, a big multi-billion dollar US company, wanted to rebrand its consulting business and saw this little niche specialist consultancy uh, as the perfect way to do it. So, and in fact, their market value jumped by more than the 32 million they paid on the day that it was announced. So you get this interesting phenomenon sometimes that there's equity value, that, 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 that a de- an acquisition will, d- will do something for the buyer's share value, for its market value, which is out of proportion to the standalone company that is value that it's buying. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's something that a typical seller's not got in their, in their view. And it's only if you go out and explore the potential value, and I would say never, never name your price, just go out and talk about your potentials, talk to all those who have a strategic interest in you, and let's see where the bids come in. Yeah. Well, again, I guess the value, the, the, the buyer determines the value, not the seller. The seller can only see what's on their table. The buyer yes. sees something what's attractive to them. But if you're in a bilateral conversation, then the buyer's always going to be saying, I will pay you a, he'll be saying, you know, a fair standalone value. And he won't want to, or she won't want to pay you anything for the strategic value or the synergy value because they'll say, well, that's mine. Thanks very much. That's the value I add. You don't, you don't deserve any of that. And the only defense against that is to have a competitive process. Well, so I quite agree with you. It's down to the buyer, but you need a competitive process. A competitive process, absolutely. But let's not undervalue the, the fact that the business owners have created the opportunity to leverage off that starting point. So I think yeah, it's, it's fair that that value is received. Um, absolutely. But, you have, but to, you have to fight for it. You have to prepare for it. Yeah, and, and one of the areas you've got to prepare for it is to withstand due diligence by a number of different buyers simultaneously. And, and that, that requires really thorough preparation of the due diligence phase as well, as you know. I mean, I know you're into that with your clients. Yeah. And that's vital. Getting them ready because and understanding what the buyers are going to be looking for and anticipating that and preparing in advance just puts buyers or founders on the front foot. And I think, you know, when we see them on the front foot, they go through the, the process, they know what's coming, you know, someone like us is there holding their hand, guiding them, you know, directing them, you know, it ends up like a much smoother process. You know, we call it exiting gracefully as opposed to feeling like a messy divorce and no one wants to go through a messy divorce. You're absolutely right. I 100% agree. It's not only much more comfortable to do it in a well-prepared way, but the, I think the buyer's sense that you have genuine alternatives if you are running a, a well-conducted competitive sale process. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then they know that they can't pull any stunts on price drops. Yeah. So, David, we're, we're in this situation where um, you know, business owners are, are thinking about selling their business. They've been thinking about it for a while. It's, it's not usually a snap decision. Um, a lot of them have got fear that their price has dropped you know, they're, they're may have, their revenue may have dropped this year and that's going to impact the price. You and I both know that price is never, you know, purely down to one year's figures. It, it looks at a pattern and what's been happening over the last few years. And it's also a looking forward, you know, opportunity cost. 
So this year, as it's been you know, a crazy year, how much impact does it really have on price? I get in some industries, as you've already mentioned, people are snapping up um, bargains and I guess using that to put pressure on, on business owners who are fearful and stressed. But what about the bulk of industries and businesses out there? Are they, are they really being affected by this or is it one industry I, at a time? I think the uncertainty is bound to have been and prove, will prove to be a depressant relative to where we were. Uh, so I think what it comes down to is a balance between, you know, how badly do you need or want to get out now versus what are the chances going forward? Now, I've got some clients who take a pretty pessimistic view, who think that the knock-on effects of all the debt that's been taken on by economies around the world is going to push us into a long and deep recession, if not depression. You know, so if that's your view, then maybe next year isn't going to be the bounce-back year that many of us are hoping for. Uh, if you are facing illness or you've got, you know, a spouse with time issues uh, due to illness or whatever, and you really want out of the saddle of management, then you may want some sort of a solution. And that, that doesn't need to be sale, as you well know. You know, it can be management succession. It could be um, transfer. It could be a, a buyout or a transfer to, an, uh, to the employees through an employee ownership trust. And I'd like to come back to that because uh, my understanding there is that the valuations for employee ownership trust transfers can more or less completely discount a bad year. And I know there have been cases where this year is being discounted uh, by the valuers uh, on the grounds that it's a blip and there's a good trading history and there are good prospects. Actually, in a sale uh, transaction, I don't think you get a buyer to discount it that way. So the... EOT uh, transfer probably gets its nose in the lead uh, in terms of that one issue. Um, but I would say because strategic and synergistic value can be so significant relative to standalone value, you shouldn't worry unduly about standalone value getting hit uh, in a year like this. Uh, there are ways you can test whether a deal is going to work literally by sort of validating the idea by talking confidentially, either directly or through an intermediary um, to key potential buyers to s suss out their appetite. And you can say, you know, hey, look, obviously it's, this hasn't been a, a good year. Uh, it's been a year in which, um, you know, we've uh, had time to take stock. We've actually got an exciting future ahead of us. We can plow on and achieve that and sell in the future. But it just occurs to us there may be somebody out there willing to pay enough of tomorrow's value today to make it worth doing a transaction sooner rather than later. And on that basis, you know, you might find that there's enough value to, to make it worth doing that. And I guess owners need to weigh up money in their pocket um, versus lifestyle choices. Um, and I've been hearing that some business owners are going, hey, I've had to spend a whole lot of time at home this year. Um, come to think of it, I've quite enjoyed that. I've enjoyed being home. I've spent more time with the grandkids. You know, they've got a taste of the future. And for a number of them, it's brought forward their desire to want to um, exit out of the business or at least get out of some day-to-day uh, -day routine type of activities and responsibilities. Yeah. That's true. And there are others there who I think are feeling, whoa, I've got all my wealth tied up in the business. I want to take some money off the table. Yep. Um, 
You know, I had a client come to me wanting to do a buyout for that reason. Now, unfortunately, I tell you what, well, as you know, I don't need to tell you, but I mean, we should tell our, tell our viewers that, 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 that buyout funding, you know, the appetite amongst the banks that finance SME buyouts has gone way down. Yeah. And whereas once you could easily hope to get three times EBITDA in terms of lending for a buyout, you know, dead easy. I mean, now getting two times is hard and it's prob probably more like one and a half. So buyouts just aren't going to hit the spot from a value perspective, probably. Uh, and employees may be more nervous than ever about getting involved with those. Whereas employee ownership trust transfers, I think, are really going to come into their own in this climate. Because they're, they're, they're perfect from a capital gains tax point of view, with no capital gains tax to be paid, on the value of the transaction that takes them into the employee ownership trust with 50 or 51 percent, hmm. whenever that value is paid. So, you know, there's nothing like that available in terms of entrepreneur's relief these days, as it used to be called. Yeah, well, not anymore. Okay, so we've got. We've, we started to look at some of the risks, you know, if, of not selling. If I, you know, if, if a business owner is, is looking at selling their business this year, they're a bit nervous. You know, often they've got a three-year time frame. But how would you guide them today? I won't, I won't say advise, but if, if they're looking at exiting their business today, we're at the end of 20, you know, 2020 now. Um, hopefully there's a vaccine on the, on the horizon in the next quarter, potentially. Um, Entrepreneurs are, are typically optimists. So, you know, they're possibly thinking that, hey, look, everything, you know, the future is always brighter. So next year is always going to be a whole lot better than this year. How should they be thinking? Should they wait a year? How long will it take to, to you know, get that exit, to find a buyer? What should they be doing yes. if they want to get out now? They've just made the choice. I think one fundamental question is, how much of your wealth is tied up in your business? You know, are you entirely dependent on this business to provide for your retirement or not? If you are, you may want to de-risk by getting some money, uh, you know, off, out, um, taking some money off the table. Yeah, That's one consideration. I think another consideration in any negotiation is, of course, you know, is time on your side? Uh, I mean, there might be, I actually always think about the timing of a transaction in terms of the timing of the dynamics of the business, the timing of the market, and the timing of the individual. So, I mean, if there, if there were huge health issues or if somebody's already been, you know, they might be in their 70s. I've known this situation. People have been wanting to exit for or retire for 10 years. They're on into their 70s. They may have had a stroke and they're still working, you know, too hard in the business. Uh, you know, in, th in that kind of situation, you've really got to ask, well, is it worth waiting another year to maximize the sale proceeds or shouldn't I enjoy, you know, what, whatever time I have left with the wife and the grandchildren? Um, I, th I think unless the business well it's worth testing whether the business has sufficient strategic interest for a buyer to, to attract a decent value even today and that's something that can be done through discrete market testing i also think you know one should look at the possibility of a merger because the interesting thing about mergers where you're bringing two businesses together and becoming the two sets of shareholders become shareholders in the combined entity 
and the managers management's merge, is that maybe an opportunity for you to get out of the saddle, especially if the management of the other side is younger. Uh, but 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 there'll be room for your staff as well, uh, and you will then basically have transferred your 100% ownership, if that's what it is in your current business, into, let's say, 50% stake in the combined business, if it's literally a merger of equals. Uh, that, now, these transactions are easy to get done because the issue is relative contribution of profits and assets, uh, and that's very easy to thrash out. And you don't have to worry about paying a premium or getting a premium. And you have a second bite of the cherry when you can sell your shares, hopefully down the road. So those sorts of transactions give synergy benefits to both parties. They may solve the management issue if you want more time uh, and leave you as a significant shareholder, but you won't get cash out. So if you need cash out, you know, maybe the employee ownership trust route is the one to go. So what we really need to do is take the client's needs and then look at all of the possible transactions in turn and see to what extent they may meet the, the client's needs. Yeah. So every, every business owner is different as much as a business is a yeah. business, but every business owner is different. Their, their needs are different, their timings, their issues, their financial situation, everything's different. So there's a number of options for all of them. And, and what you're suggesting is, Hey, look, it's, you, you can't be generic here. We can talk, be as generic as saying we can sell a business, but, that can mean many different things. And we don't have to do it in one tranche. We can, we can gradually step down um, and, and exit our business. And one of the things that uh, we were talking about offline before this conversation was um, you know, unbundling the, the, the benefits of business ownership, which are typically you know, income, ownership and control. And we can you know, create a staged strategy that addresses each of those areas individually uh, which works at, you know, especially well if there's more than one owner in the business and they have different time horizons. Absolutely. So, the beauty of the employee ownership trust in this context, I think, is that it enables you to stay in the saddle if you want to. So control and income can be preserved. You can get a chunk of cash out through a bit of borrowing if necessary or whatever cash you already have in the business can come out as the first installment of the price. And there's the possibility of a trade sale rather than a sale to the trust down the road if you can attract a, a value high enough uh, to, to get everybody on board for that. Yeah, I call that the step up strategy. And that's where we, you know, the business owners tend to have a bit of energy to go to do one last hurrah. And they go, let's get everyone on board. We've built the business value to this far, but, you know, we've got a bit of energy left. We want to exit in, I don't know, five or more years time let's create the ownership trust there, get the employees on board and anyone else if we need to, you know, we'll crank it up, we'll, we'll, do, we'll blitz the market and we'll, we'll look at how we can add significant value to the business over the next two years and then we can exit uh, through a trade sale or transaction and that way everyone wins. Uh, yeah. Which is, yeah, and, and that the, the trust is, is of benefit to the buyers because it shows the alignment and it shows, you know, the caliber and the... Um, commitment of the of the team they're buying effectively or that they're integrating with yes it's a great solution for those who want to get some value off the table now in case you know things get worse 
Yep. Uh, but but who, as you say, have energy and confidence that the business has got a bright future. Yeah. But, but it comes back to that point where we started today in that it takes planning. You know, the only way they'll get yes. there and come up with a strategy like that is if they plan for it in advance. And it's going to be, we're not just talking 12 months advance, we're talking five years. It's a five-year plan to, to really impact and get significant value to the business because we've got to get a whole lot of value a, it can be just through you know organic growth, but we want to add the value that's off the balance sheet as well. And then you've got that transaction time lag. You know, you, you know, a lot of brokers and and corporate finance you know, experts suggest to me that it takes twelve months to sell a business. You can't just put it on the market today and and hope to get a couple of buyers and be sold by Christmas. Yeah, that's true. No, it does. It, it, it does. I mean, long gone are the days where you'd sell a business in three to four, even six months. Yeah, 12 months is more realistic. Or what it was, I would have said, even before COVID. Okay, so we've, we've covered a lot of ground, David, and um, you, you've shared some tips. You've shared your three building blocks. You had a nice little visual there for those who are listening to the Audible only. Um, you had your three building blocks, which are literally blocks with uh, the, the first letter on them, um, which is a, a nice visual. We've said that, hey, look, if you've got the time, it might be worth holding back uh, for a year if, if you don't need to cash in today. Um, what, what's the one last thing, David, that you'd really like listeners to, to take away from uh, listening to you today and all of your experience? Well, you know, it's been a hell of a year. I would say don't despair. There's always silver linings. Look for the silver linings. And it's never too early to start planning for exit. Brilliant. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today and uh, tapping into your insights. I'm sure the listeners will love it. That's it for today. Thank you very much, Daryl. It's been fun.